The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. All right, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod. You can find Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. In the studio today, we've got Justin, the producer, and Tom Schreier at T Schreier 3, the co-founder of Zone Coverage. I'm going to ask you what's good, but we're hanging out in our new digs in a, yeah. the T3 building downtown Minneapolis, so there's a lot going on for Zone Coverage right now. Yeah, fun guests as well, but uh, I think this is probably the fifth show we've done in here. Yeah. I'd, have to, I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, downtown Minneapolis. Fun place to record the shows. Should be an exciting one today. Not, not exactly breaking a bottle of champagne over the front of the podcasting studio to get it christened, but we'll have <laughs> please, some fun with don't. it. Yeah. Before we get to today's guest, thank you so much for your reviews on whatever platform you listen on. Adding those reviews only helps give us more legitimacy, both in the eyes of advertisers, but also the podcast providers. So whatever platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Google Play, Spotify... Give us a five-star review if you like the show, and find me on Twitter. Slide into those DMs if you don't. Without you, we can't do the show. So please, please, please feel free to give us a review and, and check us out. Now, on to today's program. We have a very, very special guest on the line today. You know him as a gold glove outfielder for uh, three different teams. Former MLB outfielder Mike Cameron. What's going on today, man? I'm good, fellas. How you guys doing? And uh, happy to be on. Happy yeah. Happy to chance to to uh, share this podcast with you guys. Yeah, we're very excited to have you, and I can't speak for Tom, but it's exciting to have a, a former Milwaukee Brewer on for the second week in a row. Our, our producer is a big Brewers fan, and last week we had Glendon Rush, a left-handed pitcher who you probably faced but definitely um, just missed as teammates in Milwaukee. But, yeah, we're kind of kind of pandering to the producer here with uh, with former Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. Um I think, uh, you know, I, I faced Glendon long, way back when he first started over in uh, Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, we, we go way back as far as uh, playing against each other and everything. So it's always good, man, to uh, tatty up and talk about old times and um, <laughs> and uh, be a part of, uh, you know, uh, the, the group, the group of guys that's, that, that's kind of come and, and pass pass it on, pass the torch on, and everything. So it's always good just to be a, be able to share some of that interesting um, interesting things that that took place early on in my career and and uh, what have you. So now people can find you on Twitter at underscore darkman forty four, and that's where we found you. Yeah. How do you like that platform as a way to interact with fans and media types and just people who want to interact with a guy who they saw play on TV, you know, just a few years ago. You know, it was uh, it was interesting because I uh, didn't really get on the Twitter until I was kind of like almost done, maybe like 2010 or 11, mm-hmm. somewhere around in there. So, and it just kind of grown on me a little bit because it just opens up everything to you know, platforms to be able to uh, interact with people uh, uh, in a different light, in a different view from all over the world, and it just it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. I know. A lot of the younger people, the kids or whatever, starting to turn to, um, they're starting to turn to um, um, Snapchat and some of these other things or whatever. But Twitter is just like the 
national news network and mm-hmm. being able to to de- to deal with like just you know regular regular people on a daily basis fans what have you what have not you know I think I think some of the I think that's one of the biggest uses now of the the uh, reporters so you know there's another way to get a lot of info a lot of get a lot of information. Now, we haven't seen you in a big league uniform since 2011, but w- what is keeping you busy these days? Obviously, we know your son, Daz, is making his way up the ladder in the Detroit Tigers system, and so I'm sure that's part of what keeps you busy. But w- what occupies your days now that you're no longer playing in the big leagues? Well, I have um, three other ones, three other kids besides, besides Daz, uh, for one. And, um, you know, i got a, a, a daughter that's, um, she's in, she's at Ole Miss. She runs track at Ole Miss. And I have a, you know, younger son that graduated this year. Um, he's a, he's a basketball player and we're trying to get him situated. That's far, far as that is. And I have a 10 year old, um, but you know, I haven't, I haven't been able to get into things like I want to, uh, considering, you know, with them coming home with them and trying to get these first few kids out of school. But moving forward, I think I will be able to now and be able to get my third kid out and be able to start doing some things. I'm getting anxious to be able to do things like that. So uh, occupied. I have a, a baseball academy that kind of started just for dads. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't an academy. It was just a couple of occasions, and they just kind of turned into something bigger than what I thought it was going to turn into. But it's it's good, man. You know, the kids in the neighborhood, it gives me refuge, gives me a place to go. Or as refuge and everything, so you know it's it's uh. But in in real in reality, my what I want to be able to do is to be able to get back in the game in some capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, probably not on a full time basis, but like some of my, um, you know, fellow friends and everything else has been able to do, and they do, you know, they go out for a while, and you know, for to be some type of. Uh, uh, Let's see, advisor to the GM or sure. or baseball operations or something like that. You know, where they still get a chance to be at home, some. You know, um, until I'm able to get all of my kids out. So it's a, uh, you know, hopefully I get that opportunity. Uh, I feel like I got a lot to give, and you know, if it does come right now, it'd be a blessing in disguise. And you know, whatever capacity that I have to do it in, and I'll I'll try to do that. No. and and kind of move forward. Yeah. Now, where's home for you? I mean, obviously, you're probably somewhere warmer than the Twin Cities where it's in single digits today as we're talking to you. You know, where where are you right now and, and where are you living? Uh, definitely. It's, I'm in Atlanta. So ah, it's nice. definitely a lot warmer than Twin Cities. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Now, but, uh, did you ever yeah. play at Target Field? Go ahead. Uh, yes. I, I played there the first year I opened up. Yeah, first so, year was so you, you have played outdoor uh, baseball then. I mean, most of your career would have been the Metro. Actually, right? Actually, we were so worried about it being when we first went to Minnesota, when we played it in um, uh, 2010, opened up with Boston. Well, we didn't open up there, but I think it was the first series we opened up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, the 20s. And we were so worried about it being so cold there on the outside. And it was actually like 65, 70 <laughs> degrees there. And I, I still end up, I think that was the start of my downfall because I ended up getting hurt. Mm. I end, I end up getting hurt there, you know, with the the new turf, and that kind of took me out. Uh, where I end up, 
um, hair like a, it's called a, a what is it called? End up having a, a sports hernia. Oh yeah. And chasing chasing after I think maybe a, a ball that more no hit, mm-hmm. and I didn't see it right off the bat right away, and I had to get on my horse, and I think I slipped, and you know from that point on, and my career in Boston was kind of became kind of like my last couple of years, it became like just kind of an injury type of deal, uh, just dealing with that. So, but I did get a chance to play in uh, the new place in uh, Minnesota. It's beautiful downtown. You know, obviously I played a lot of games in the old Metrodome. Mm-hmm. Uh, started my career out in the Central Division of uh, baseball, but uh, obviously it, it is uh, a beautiful place. Uh, but it's a lot more beautiful when it's warm there. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that too. Now you've talked about creating a podcast and maybe this can be a springboard for you to kind of get a, a lay of the land but what do you want that to be like I mean do you want it to be talking about current baseball talking about your experiences talking about what you'd like to see change in the game today you know what what, what, what do you want that to look like if you end up starting it here pretty soon uh you know just just you know just just like from listening to a lot of different people uh on Twitter and uh, some of the things that people ask me all the time and me being able to uh, travel to see my son play a lot, you know, just generally talking about some of the, the things in in baseball that people deal with. You know, I, I do, I don't do a lot of talking all the time on Twitter. I do a lot of looking and listening. Mm-hmm. And as I said, some people just don't understand, you know, the difficulties and the pressure and the trials and tribulations that, you know, young men at very age go through. Uh, so that was one thing that I thought that, you know, being able to have a podcast and then like listening to uh, the likes of Kevin Kennedy with his podcast and, you know, some of the other things. And obviously the big league, big league, the big leagues is easy as far as being able to see it. Uh-huh. Um, the players there, there's, so so well developed and everything else and uh, just just listening and looking at different things and and being able to share some experiences you know with some of the guys that you know, I possibly played with some of the things that don't took place you know life um, happens all the time and and um, you know I think the biggest thing now we're I've, we're on is I've been looking at a lot about you know, the minor leagues, being able to make some type of money to be able to actually survive. Mm-hmm. And But people said, oh, it's a dream. It's a gift. It's, it's, no, it's a job. Right. So, you know, you know, those type of things like that and, and be able to talk about it some, and share that with some people, you know, I think will have a um, kind of a positive impact and some positive feedback on, on, uh, on the community, not on the community, just just people in general who really want to get inside of the game, opposed to just watching the game. Um, there's so many, so many numbers now that people have to kind of skim through that they're seeing. They're seeming to make these players now, um, and the the bottom line, what comes down to it, is being able to uh, make adjustments on the field. And and have a very good sense of uh, uh, let's see, I should say uh, of themselves and confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so difficult. The game is so difficult. 
Um, I just here's a perfect prime example. I talked to my son yesterday after they played against the uh, the uh, New York Mets over in Port St. Lucie, and he was just still kind of in awe. He's like, man, you know, Robinson can know he still looks so smooth. He do everything so smooth. And I said, yeah. He said, anybody else ever played like that before? I said, yeah. Uh, by a guy by the name of Tony Fernandez. Mm, uh, guy by the name of Robbie Alomar. You know, mm. like these guys, uh, there's so much that comes before what you see. Mm-hmm. And and he was, he was, but he, he, he feels like he belongs there. He actually looks like he belongs there now. And so, you know, I told him, you know, the game will slow down for you as you allow it to, as you keep playing. Uh, talent-wise is never the talent-wise is never the thing. You got plenty of that to play every day in the big leagues right now, but it's the psychological and the mental part of it that needs to take place for you to allow you to be at peace with the struggles that you have there, with the added pressure of being dissected to the to the to the T from your feet to everything else. Now, you know there's so many camera angles on you now, and I also told him. You know, we talked about, he's like, man, uh, MLB pipeline, they sleeping on my defense. I said, son, son, that's not for you to worry about. <laughs> you know, this is, where you're, this is where you're at now. You know, I can't get you caught up in the word about MLB, what MLB pipeline is saying about you. You know, you've, you've been, di- been dissected. He's been dissected since he's been in the ninth grade. Right. The guy's been highly touted since he's been in the ninth grade. I mean, it was almost like I was worried because – I wouldn't even know how to deal with that. You know, like he's, he's, you know, every, every, I mean, from being talking about being the first pick in the draft in 2015 to, you know, his ceiling has reached and this, that, and the other. It's like, you know, I can read that stuff and kind of get, get through it, but I wonder how does he perceive it? How does he go through it? You know, it's just so much, so many different things that I have to, you know, be cognizant of when, and not putting too much pressure on him, but Mm -hmm. being diligent enough, to give him, you know, a firm basis of the game, but he's so knowledgeable and he's also uh, very astute. So, and he works really hard. So I had to find a balance with him to, to, to allow him to perform, you know, not worry about being able to walk in my light or my shoes. You know, every time they announce his name, they always say, well, here's Mike Cameron's son, you know? So that's the first part they say. So there's always that added, um, indulge a pressure to, to for him to kind of live up to that, the billing of the last name, so to speak. Yeah. And so, you know, I just think that you know he, he it's a very delicate situation with him and me being able to talk to him, and him being able on the, on the cusp, you know, of of got having a foot in the door of getting to the big leagues. Now, when you were in his position, you were drafted in the 18th round in '91. You signed about 10 yeah. days later. Was there any chance you weren't going to sign? I mean, 18th round, sometimes guys will prefer to go to college or, you know, it was it was a different time back then with when they had to sign you and send offers and all that stuff. But was there ever a chance where you're like, yeah, you know, maybe if I don't get the money I want, I'm going to go to college? Uh, not really because I felt like I was a pioneer of my in my city, my time, mm-hmm. my town. I also felt like... Uh, Hey, I may not ever get this chance again. Why not go and try it out? And if it doesn't work out, I can go to school. Yeah, you know, um, I always I thought of it as also as like, 
you know, this is kind of what, like what I've been prepping for for my last few years, my dreams or whatever. And let me go and try it. You know, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking, I'm pretty sure it could have gotten better if I would have went to college. Um, but to be able to actually um, deal with it and go in and be, and be excited about doing it, I just felt like, I, I felt like it was the right time for me. Um, you know, at the time that I, that I was playing ball, I probably was, wasn't ready at 18 years old, <laughs> but I was good. I was very good at high school. But when you, once you get there, everybody is good. I knew what I had to overcome. I was a very hard worker, um, very diligent in that department as far as learning, um, being on a straight and narrow, straight course, and understanding the position that I, I had an opportunity to achieve if I progressed and also, you know, if I could just get an opportunity. That's it. Now, the Sox sent you to the GCL, which is not uncommon for players in your position. And, I mean, you hit 221, you know, some ups and downs. Yeah. But I've heard a lot of times that's more about adjusting than it is actual numbers, you know, finding yourself maybe away from home for the first time and, and you know, kind of finding your way in the world, not unlike a freshman year of college. What, was that your experience as well? Just like, oh, man, I'm on my own. I got to figure out all this stuff. And so it's like, yeah, you know, the stats might be secondary at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when I went there, knowing that, you know, it was like really like learning to use wood bats. Right. You know, when I played high school, it was all aluminum. Now these kids, you know, it wasn't no perfect game and these different things and events. And it was, you know, learning to use wood, getting stronger. Um, you know, I, I felt like I did some things um, that could help me out as I got got down there and learning more about myself, playing pro ball. And once I started getting stronger, a lot of the things started happening to me. Everything was trial and error, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew, I knew I took the information I got from the people, my coaches, and, you know, so that helped me out also with them being able to recognize that, hey, you know what, this is a long-term project, but <laughs> it could turn out to be okay. And, and and I knew I was in a fight with some. And when I saw guys that came in that was drafted before me, mm -hmm. um, you know, some other younger kids, and I was like, oh, you know what? I can do this right here. I can do this. You know, <laughs> I can. I, I'm, I'm. I can do this. I'm. I'm, be I'm. I'm better than him right here in this area right now. So I'm gonna be all right. And I just kind of looked at it like that. You know, even playing against, you know, for other guys in the first round on other teams. You know, one of my buddies. Right now is uh, Cliff Floyd. Yeah, seeing him come out and play, and so uh, he was with Montreal, and so they were in Pirate City, and so to be able to see some of these guys, you know, and kind of match yourself up with them, like, okay, I see what I see what's going on here. I need to do this, this, that, and the other, and um, make it happen for myself and go to work and get it done. And that was that was kind of like the way I kind of viewed everything. Starting out in rookie ball, obviously it was. It was tough, you know, going away from home like that, never being away from home in that, that long that that extended period of time, uh, with it being a job and going out and competing on a daily basis. But baseball was my life. You know, it, it had already been my life. It was just now more advanced and to be away get away be away from home to do it like that, 
the only time you really start missing home is when you're struggling. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always uh, it's always a blessing. So I made it. I made it knowing that Dasman, when he first got drafted, you know, he had much more travel experience because, right. you know, playing at East Cobb baseball, they travel so much. So he was used to being away from home. Um, and so when he got the pro ball, uh, his challenges, his challenges were a lot different than mine because he was able to um, be a, a first round draft pick, you know, getting very, very, very much a high bonus. So, like, there was no worries in that department. It was just him developing now mm-hmm. and understanding that uh, the time that you have to put in will will be the most important thing uh, dealing with some of the things that, that he has to deal with. And I know how important family is to have family around him, go down and see him a couple times. You know, we may talk three or four times uh, a week or whatever. And then also give him some time on his own to kind of, you know, give himself uh, a chance to grow up a little bit. Um, but definitely go down and see him, put your arms around and see him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm fortunate to be able to, to do that. And uh, I do that with all my kids because I missed that when I was playing. Right. I didn't really have that. You know, my, my family didn't get a chance to come around me so much. So I know how important that was for him. Now, every player's got a different developmental path, but in general, I mean, you've got the – the college guys who move fast and you've got the, the young guys who might be toolsy and, and be a slow burn, which I think is definitely the case for you. Maybe, maybe a little bit different with Daz, but how would you characterize your development process? Because we see guys drafted, you know, with, with a lot of raw tools that need maybe a little extra time to refine. And they do have the ups and downs that maybe we see with guys like Byron Buxton, who uh, from Georgia, in fact, and uh, you know, Aaron Hicks, who just signed an extension two guys who the twins have yeah. had go through here. You know, looking through their lens or, or however you want to look at it, you know, how would you characterize the development for you from the day you reported to the GCL to the day you were in the big leagues for good? It was a long process. Uh, I was very fortunate to have people like Buddy Bell. Um, um, let's see, Buddy Bell, Von Joshua, my, you know, very hitting coach, um, uh, the, the the trainers, the people around, um, and, and Gary Pettis, um, you know, had people actually believe in me, you know, and and as 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 the cream started to get, you know, stirred up, I started rising a little bit more every time. I, you know, it may start out slow mm-hmm. or whatever. It may take me a little time to get it, but I was always working to achieve that. And all of a sudden, you know, as my body clock started to tick. I started to grow more. I started to get stronger, um, you know, from rookie ball to – I remember going to South Bay, Indiana, and I wanted to quit. <laughs> I went home for the All-Star break, and I didn't want to go back. And I think my dad was like, dude, are you, I mean, are you – really? Like, <laughs> you just going to quit? Yeah. You know, telling you know, telling people that. But, you know, part of it was just I was struggling. I was homesick. You know, I couldn't go deep yet. I didn't know yeah. how to go deep you know, hit the ball over the fence. And so it was just, I had to, I had to refine my, my game to put it in play. You know, I was very strong defensively. Uh, I could run very well. It was just always the bat was the last thing to come around, you know? Um, and, and I got time to do that. They, 
the, the, the team actually gave me an opportunity to do that because I had so many tools. I could throw, I could do everything. And I know I could do it because I just did it in high school. You know, I was always one of the best players all the time. It was just a matter of putting it together consistently, consistently, you know, and the numbers don't really show that. But mm-hmm. in my mind, I always thought that I was, you know, improving. And then the numbers did start to show. Right. And so I, I just had a, a very good sense of uh, coaching. Uh, didn't have to worry about, you know, I didn't make a prospect list until I played in uh, high A ball. But I always, you know, a list in general, Baseball America, only thing they had back then. Um, uh, and... I think before that, I think the White Sox saw value in me. Um, right. Did, did, you know, just as 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 uh, as it kind of went because I always went to instructional league. I always went to you know uh, uh, pre spring training camp or whatever it was. You know, I was always in the midst of all those things, and I got better when it didn't. You know, like when especially when I went instructional league, when I was around the better prospects. I started to play better, you know, I started to get better. And so, you know, those things uh, gave, instilled a confidence in me that I already kind of had in myself that I knew that, you know, hey, man, you know, you keep working, you can get this thing right here, you can get this. And uh, I was just very fortunate to have, you know, quality coaching and didn't have to worry about a lot of those things. And, you know, once I got to, I guess, Prince William, Virginia, Man, it, it turned around. Also, I had Tito as a you know my hitting coach yeah, and my manager yeah. all the way up to like double A. So, you know that always helped out too. You know guys that can actually see you play and and believe that you play, and uh, you know made it made it a lot easier for me in that aspect because I worked my ass off mm-hmm. even in the off season. You know I grinded all the time, man, and and uh, I just I just put forth the work. I didn't do much, you know like no friends, like, going out and all that kind of stuff like that. I didn't do none of that stuff, man. I had a passion for what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew what that needed to be done. And, you know, I just, every year I was set out to, to prove something, you know, I could do it. You know, I saw a lot of my friends fall off. You know, seeing people get released in spring training is probably one of the worst feelings in the world. Right. Um, that That carried me through all my whole career, <laughs> you know, Every time I went to spring training, there was a fear. Like, I never felt like I could kind of, like, coast in spring training. I always felt like I needed to make a team. And so I kind of played with that type of, you know, that type of uh, uh, energy in my body, you know, the course of my career. So it just, it makes it, it it's, a, it's a driven factor where, you know, it could be some things that uh, uh, kind of, like, overlooked sometimes, but that was a part of, the inner drive in my in my system that that kind of kept me cognizant of what was taking place on a daily basis. So that '94 season was was pretty pivotal for you, uh, as far as I mean, you drove the ball a little bit more, obviously for extra bases, not not yeah. home runs quite yet, but you also started taking a bunch of walks. You went from a guy who would walk yeah. 15, 20, 30 times a year to 60. Uh, I, I've never, I, or I've always been like fascinated with the the development of pitch selection. What did that for you? Because sometimes it's guys who swing at everything and they just remain that way their whole career. But you, I, I won't say flip to switch because I don't want to diminish the work, but it was like an overnight yeah. thing from one year to the next. How did you do that? I mean, it just, it, just got, it just got to a point where, 
you know, um, just, how should I say this? It, I think it just got to a point where just being cognizant of the confidence in my capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, I don't even know those early on stats that you're talking about. I do know I started walking a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so it just made it a lot easier uh, for me in the game and recognizing and, and playing the game itself made it so much more easier, man. That's all. Like, I just, I think that was part of it that I got a chance to, uh, to experience that. I've always been, you know, I think I was so, I was too selective at, at times. And so that made it, made me start to be more aggressive. And then once you became more aggressive, I think my knowledge of the strike zone itself, I mean, like I worked, I worked in, in, even when pitchers was throwing bullpen, I would go down and, and stand in the box and just kind of do those type of things and, and kind of go with it like that. You know, that was, that was uh, uh, something I did every time, especially in my leagues. And then spring training, you get a chance to go do that. You know, in some big league, stadiums you can go and just stand in the box you know some I always ask the pitchers could I do it mm-hmm. you know and everything so I mean it was just something that you know like I was you know, okay now you got me looking at it now so I, I always had pretty good you know range of motion until I got to 93 I think I walked 27 times struck out 100 but before that it was like 17 and 29 and mm-hmm. 21 and 63 and, you know 10 and 37 and I did come back and walk 60 times I just got better and so, you know, just looking at it, I just started to put, put that together. You know, I still had a little bit of swing and miss um, a lot because I started to add a little power to my game. But um, I kind of still walked enough and hit enough to minimize the damage of some of the strikeouts. I just never wanted to strike out with, you know, people on base because yeah. that was the emphasis on me all the time. Hey, you got to put the ball in play. You got to put the ball in play. You got to put the ball in play. And I started getting passive a little bit. So, you know, I, until I learned that what I needed to do, it was just something that, you know, that, that would kind of hinder me a little bit. And once I was able to hone that part of it, I had a un, the, probably the one of the biggest thing that happened to me was I got, you know, I got my, I hurt my eye early on in double A mm-hmm. and uh, my, my first year in double A. And uh, got my orbital, orbital socket fracture, and that kind of hindered my depth perception. But my eyes were so strong already that I didn't realize that it, if I'd gotten that fixed, I probably could have had better vision or worked on it enough, uh, would have had better vision than I had in the past. And so when I went to the big leagues and uh, at the plan in double A, when they called me up, I had no idea I was getting called up. That was after the strike, mm-hmm. you know, after having a good year in, in Prince William, Virginia, in high A ball, and going to double um, uh, A. I knew that this was like not make a break, but this is what breaks you right here. Right. So you really need to show you can play, you know. And I had a pretty good year in double A. Um, and, you know, once again, I had Terry Francona as my manager, and you know, for the majority of my minor league career. And then having Dave Hupper, you know, another former big league player, a catcher or whatever for, you know, for so long and getting a double A back with Terry Francona and then having an opportunity playing with Jordan in 2000, in 1994, 
you know, in spring training and everything mm-hmm. else. He was uh, he started obviously he started a, a a year ahead of us, but being in spring training, uh, being in instruction league and doing those things and, you know, being around those people, being around Bo Jackson, you know, people that come in, it's just like, man, you know, like, okay, these are big league guys. Well, obviously MJ wasn't, but Bo Jackson was, um, and some of the guys that come in and rehab and just like watching them, like, this is what it takes. You know, this, let me see what's going on here. How these guys approach this thing over the years. And then I, you know, going to spring training and never getting that one opportunity to go play on the other field. You know, not getting one opportunity until I got to the big leagues. I never played in the spring training game. I used to be pissed when everybody would get a chance to go um, Mm -hmm. on the other side or travel with the team. And I never got that chance. And like, you know what, just keep working, man. You're going to get your chance. You're going to get your chance. And when I got my opportunity coming out of double A in nineteen ninety five, I was like, when Tito told me I was going to the big leagues, I said, What? The big leagues? <laughs> I'm going to the big leagues? And it was like it was a shock. It was just like a, a shock that I never experienced before because I didn't know if I was ready or not, but I knew that I could play. I didn't know if it was my time to go to the big leagues, but here it was, slapped me right in the face. And after that, I just took it and ran with it. I realized that once I, when I got there, you know, going through that first year, I realized I could play. I realized what the work I had to put into. I realized the consistency that I needed to develop. I realized, you know, just the consistency off the field that I need to have, the thought process, the mind and everything else. And I, they sent me back to Double A the next year, and I think I ran through Birmingham. I should have won the MVP there, mm, yes. but I got up a few times. I I, uh, I went got caught up a few times, and I think Derrick Lee won the MVP that year because I was leading off and playing center field. I was confident, and I knew I didn't belong there. Uh, I won't say I knew I didn't belong there. I just knew that this wasn't the place for me no more. Right. So I just demolished. Double A, you know, I think I ended up, you know, hitting 320 at 30, 34, 35, 36 doubles, like 12 triples and 28 home runs and 39 bags. Um, and uh, I walked a lot. I scored 120-something runs, so Four, I was doing everything. 400 on base, can't beat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just happened. It just started to happen. Everything started to come together. My strength, the power everything just started to come together for me right then and there. And, and, uh, and I moved straight to the, straight to the top. You know, I got called up with two times over the course of the, that, that, uh, 96 season. And, uh, and so I think that kind of took, you know, I was, I had 2020 in the first half of, of a double A minor league season. So I just knew that, you know, what, I, what I needed to do. And I knew it wasn't going to be long. I just couldn't rush it. I just had to keep working, and I knew I was going to go back because when I got caught up, I didn't know I was going. I didn't know that was my time. But I got there. I got the experience, the little cup of coffee. Uh, it changed my life. Um, and from that point on, man, it was it was just uh, a whole different mindset. And so the evolution of where I came from and the things and being able to see from my perspective, 
you know, looking at a Byron Buxton and an Aaron Hicks, I think I just, you know, commented a couple, you know, maybe on someone's on someone's Twitter feed a couple of days ago when they were talking about uh, their numbers for their first three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt, I felt like that, you know, like I went through what Aaron Hicks and Byron Buxton, you know, when I played in big leagues, you know, in 1997, I mean, I, I finished sixth in the rookie of the year and, you know, they was named, yeah, and the next 30, 30 guy. And I'm like, Whoa, I got people putting pressure on me that I don't even got on myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that hindered me a lot. And so I just knew that I could not continue to start to listen to the outside forces of pressure of what was expected of me opposed to me expecting what I expected out of myself. You know, I had it hard, man. I had it I really I had it really hard. I didn't understand what I had the 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 pressure that the people were putting on me. I didn't understand it. And so I started pressing subconsciously to live up to the pressure that the people were putting on me, all the expectations that they were putting on me. And so that, that made it tough. And so I kind of found, once I found my way, the game was still kind of fast for me. And I had to find a way to slow it down because my second year I had a sophomore slump. Yeah. And Jerry Manuel came in. And I don't even know if it was a sophomore slump. It's just that it did not work for me. And I guess that would be a slump, so to speak, because it didn't work for me the whole year. Like, I grinded and struggled the whole year. And they didn't send me down. Like, I had the benefit of being able to stay there and go through that and live through the adversity, continuing to work, everything else. And I got a chance to go to winter ball. Well, I got a chance to go to winter ball before 1997. I actually went to winter ball way back in uh, – Way back in 1995, that was just part of the grind that I started going to winter ball and hitting breaking balls, hitting the breaking ball, hitting the breaking ball. And, you know, as I got to, you know, 1998, I was still going to play winter ball. And this last time I went to Dominican. And uh, as I went to Dominican after that season was over with, um, I started playing well again. So I knew it wasn't that I couldn't play in the big leagues. Uh, it was just that I was putting so much pressure on myself to play that I, it, 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 it didn't allow me to perform the way I supposed to perform on a daily basis. And I knew that I had to find a way to control that and playing one ball in Dominican that year and then getting traded from the White Sox to Cincinnati was another wake-up call for me. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I'm in one ball and y'all traded me and nobody told me, right. nobody called me, nobody, nothing. Nobody did anything. And so, man, I was just like, I can't, I can't. Like, I'm I'm furious now. Like, I'm, I'm ready to tap through everything, you know, but one of the best things that happened to me was getting traded to Cincinnati, getting over there with Barry Larkin and Greg Vaughn and, you know, the Harold Morris's and, um, some of the other veteran guys they had, but so much youth over there. Uh, Jim Bowden and being playing on Jack McKinnon and having Ken Griffey Jr. Senior as a hitting coach again, you know, uh, we I just, I flourished again. Like now I started putting it all together again. You know, Jack McKinnon 
put me in the lineup every day. Obviously, having Jeffrey Hammond over there, Michael Tucker, Demetri Young, uh, Greg Vaughn, and some other guys in the outfield, I didn't know if I was going to play again. You know, I didn't know if I was going to start anymore or whatever else it is. And Jim Bowden came up to me and said, you kidding? You think I traded for you to sit on the bench? <laughs> like, you can run, you can throw, you can do everything. He's like, you can do it all. You just need to put it together. He had so much, he was so vibrant, you know, as a GM. He instilled that, you know, like that youth, usefulness in me and just like, man, you, I'm going to play you out here till you can't play no more. And trust me, I went to spring training and I started playing. They were playing me nine innings in games. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck, man? You know, I never did this before. And so I got a chance to experience so much, so much of the, the joy, the highs and the lows that I found a neutral balance in, in myself that I can handle these different things, you know, as I started to take off and, and started to, you know, embark on my career, going to Cincinnati helped that out. And now what I didn't expect to happen was for him to flip me over the next year right. and get traded for the best player at that time, uh, you know, arguably the most the most notable player yeah. in the in the game. Right. And right. I'm just like, there's no way <laughs> I just got traded again. Not only did I get traded, I got traded for Ken Griffey Jr. Are you serious? <laughs> what am I going to do in Seattle? Yeah. Like, what am I going to do in Seattle? There's nothing I can do in Seattle to live up to anything that this guy does. And that was just only that was only just another stepping stone for me because I got to Seattle and I got a chance to play for Lou Canella and play with Alex Rodriguez and play with John Olerud and Edgar Martinez and Jay Buhner was was. Uh, uh, was Ken Griffey Jr.'s best friend, and you know he took me on his wing, man, and and we were I was on a good team, and I always saw Lou Pinella when we played against him in the Kingdom, kicking over cups and everything else, <laughs> and knocking over water coolers. I'm like, I'm from the other side. I'm like, man, I hope I won't never have to play for this guy. And here I am, <laughs> he's my manager now, and it's just like, oh my god. You know, but I knew by this time, I knew that all the different things that I went through, I knew that I could play because of what I just dealt with uh, in Cincinnati. I knew what type of player I was once I got out of Cincinnati because, I, you know, I could, I could, okay, I'm hitting homers now. You know, I'm still in bags. You know, I'm putting my game together. I'm actually uh, an integral part of, of the team's success on a daily basis now. So I know I can do this. And when I got over there, they just made it easier. And, you know, now the mental, the mental part of baseball started to happen for me because I had a, a manager like Lou Pinella, who was one of the great mental hitting coaches that I ever, you know, been around and been around Alex Rodriguez and, you know, the, the preparation that they went through with in, with in Edgar Martinez and Alex Rodriguez, you know, their preparation tactics or whatever. And I'm just like, that's enough. I can go another level. There's another level to this. And those are some of the sentiments that, you know, that I have inside of me that I can see outwardly on a guy like Aaron Hicks mm -hmm. and a Byron Buxton is just that sometimes it takes until you get to be 25, 26, 27 years old. Like the game just because you're good don't allow you to have instant success. <laughs> you right, know, right. sometimes there's hurdles that you have to go over to get to these things. And I think that once you're comfortable with 
dealing with the failure, success becomes a lot easier. It's, it, I think it's easier to obtain and it doesn't have a stranglehold on you and you're constantly hearing how good you're supposed to be opposed to, you know what? I think this kid's going to be good once he figures this out. You know, I talked to Byron Buxton, you know, a couple of times when he was struggling and, you know, they were sending him up and down and everything else. But part of his thing was injuries. I never really got hurt a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So injuries definitely hamper all things that you go through. You know, um, you know, I, not really knowing much about Aaron Hicks. I know I played against him a little bit when he was younger. I saw him come along, right. you know, right after, you know, the Torrey Hunter, you know, right after Torrey Hunter and everything. But to see what they're capable of doing, it's almost just a blessing in disguise, man, to be able to see those type of things these guys are capable of doing. And uh, basically, um, I think that they're ready to take off when people are ready to write them off. And obviously, Hicks is definitely in a different situation now. But mm-hmm. I mean, up until now, he just kind of found his—he just kind of found his his niche, his groove, and it just happened to be in New York City, one of the biggest pressure cookers that you can play in or whatever. So, um, so it just, there's a comfort level there. And I think that, you know, I think, I think that, um, um, Byron, um, this situation is a little different. He's got a little more pressure because they have some young talent there that can also play. And so he's going to have to be more cognizant of, uh, making sure his consistency of his game picks up so he can get out there and show what he's capable of doing. You know, defensively is already there, already there. Mm-hmm. Once he takes off offensively, you know, when he has a solid season, which he's already been able to show to prove in increments of a season, I think, he, you know, he came back that second half of not last year, the year before last, where he had a great, uh, a great uh, second half or something like that. So it's there. It's there. It just made it just a matter of being able to go out and do it and show it consistently over the course of time. That's all. So I, I got to walk you back just a little bit here, but what, what kind of ripple effect? What, what kind of ripple effect was there for having Michael Jordan in the organization? I mean, I know he was at Birmingham and you were a level beneath that, but I mean, how much did that affect you that season? Oh uh, well, it, it, it was all good. The impact that I had was all good, man. I mean. It was see the greatest player <laughs> try to come out in his mid thirties and do what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. and just to watch him have exude this confidence and being humble at the same time because baseball will make you it will bring humility like nothing else, and uh, he was confident about that, and to see him go to work every day he was very diligent about his work habits, you know, getting up at six in the morning, every morning and being in the, in the cages and done before guys even got there, you know, being there at six in the morning, getting himself out of the way, you know, uh, working, you know, constantly asking questions and, you know, being able to see that. And then just the confidence and the joy of being around a guy that we know and consider the greatest basketball player in the world, uh, see him suit up in a baseball uniform was actually pretty damn cool in itself, you know, we shot pool. Everything was competitive with him from shooting um, trash balls in the trash can to, <laughs> you know, 
whatever it was, you know, playing pickup basketball, um, to actually see that, you know, just like, man, I got a chance to be around him, you know, having side bets with him, saying who's going to get the most hits. Uh, uh, if you get this many hits, you know, I'll get have a pair of Jordan for you the next day. You know, it was just like that, man. It was just an experience of a lifetime that I'll never forget that uh, to actually see him play. And then when we were playing minor league ball, me being in Carolina League and a double-A team going to play the Carolina Mudcats, we got a chance to drive over and see them play and see that that the people that showed up mm-hmm. for a minor league game was amazing. I mean, it was just amazing. And to actually talk to them and everything else, you know, um, it just, you know, being more intimate with him in, in instructional league before he get, before he went out to the Arizona Fall League, which, you know, I think the guy kept me from going to the Arizona Fall League, you know, because you can only have like a certain number of players from your team mm-hmm. go to the Fall League. And so, you know, just just uh, seeing that, man, it's, it's, it was a, a joy in itself. I think the ripple effect also was um, – It's sprinkled on everyone. Like there was a, you know, everyone was excited to be saying that, hey man, I played with Jordan and I did this and I did that, and what he was able to bring, you know, on a daily basis. I remember going to Hooters and, you know, with MJ and and ordering food. It was just, it was just cool, man. It's just like it's just something that I'll never forget. I'll cherish for a lifetime. And when I got to the big leagues and went to the United Center to see them play, it was cool that he remembered me, mm-hmm. and so that was always good. Always. So in 95, you debuted. You had a pretty good year at Birmingham, got to the big leagues. 96, you absolutely crushed Birmingham, as you said, but barely played in the big leagues. Why do you feel like maybe the second year around you didn't get another audition like you did that first time? Well, second year around, they were supposed to be pretty good um, Uh with uh, getting, I think, Bell coming over. Or was it Bell came in 97? Maybe 96, 97. I just think that they, 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 uh, with what transpired after the strike year, they were starting to regroup and um, get different players in. I think in that aspect, in that in that particular role. So uh, I didn't play as much. I, I got I only got called up a couple of times when guys got hurt, and then when I went up in September, I just didn't play as much. I don't know if we were close. I don't think we were that close to, you know, wild card or nothing like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just didn't play as much. But I wasn't concerned with that. Um, I just knew that I belonged in the big leagues. And that was it. You know, I knew that my cup of coffee in 95, trial and error, wasn't as great. But the experience alone, I just knew that I belonged in the big leagues. I could play in the big leagues. It didn't matter no more, you know. I just knew when I I just knew that by that time when I get my chance, I'm gonna be ready. I'll be ready for sure. That that '97 team had some pretty high expectations, and then had, I guess, what is colloquially colloquially known as the 1997 fire sale. Um, as a young player, you yeah. see guys like Harold Baines, Wilson Alvarez, Danny Darwin, Roberto Hernandez shipped out. I mean, is it kind of like a whirlwind yeah. around you, or, or what does that feel like when it's your first year of like real? regular playing time and you just see guys getting shipped out left and right at the trade deadline? Yeah, I didn't realize that because now I really feel like in 97 I kind of came to my own. And right. It's kind of crazy how I got got back up there because uh, I started a year out in AAA. I knew I didn't belong in AAA, 
And uh, but I, you know, I they they had no they had no choice but to send me to AAA. I was only there for three weeks, and when I got to the big leagues, I said I'm not going back no more. That's it. Mm-hmm. I think it happened on the verge of uh, Dave uh, Dave Martinez and um, and uh, La Mouton have a collision. And oh, when yeah. I got there, I didn't tell nobody that I wasn't going back. I just said this is my time. You know, under unfortunate circumstances, like this is my time to force their hand. And I just kind of took off. And and when I started playing regularly, we played a lot better. And I got a chance to hit, you know, it used to be Terry Bevington used to say three, four, five. What do you say? Three, four, five. And don't sleep on the six-hole guy, you know, because I was hitting six. And I was hitting after, you know, Big Frank and Robin Ventura and Harold Baines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of fit right in there. You know, it just – it. it and I took off, you know, I started putting up numbers and playing very well. And, you know, the game slowed down for me even more so. And, um, all of, and I think we were close. We were very close to where we, where we needed to be at. And all of a sudden they just got rid of everyone. And it's like, Whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, man, I was like, okay, they have, they have like sent the veterans, the guys, the veteran guys somewhere else. So it's time to really like step right up now. You know, it's time to really, really get out and go do it now because, you know, now they're they're turning over new leaf and and uh, you're part of it now because I'm out here every day. You know, and then got and it was just a, a, a thing to see. Um, I didn't understand it. You know, I, I'm just still trying to kind of get myself you know, humbled enough to play the game. And I didn't know. I didn't know what was taking place. I didn't know. I just I just knew that, it, that a lot was uh, given, a lot of opportunity was given to me to perform now. So there were, this is kind of a weird quirk, but there were a lot of future managers on that team. Robin Ventura, Dave Martinez, Ozzie Guillen, who I have to imagine was one of the craziest teammates you ever had, Tony Pena. I mean yeah. – at, yeah. at that time in their careers, do you do those guys watch the game differently, and you see them as someone who could, in the future, lead a ball club? Oh, uh, no doubt about it. You know, no doubt about it. You know, you, you, um, you could see that already with the way they viewed the game. Um, it just it made it a lot easier being able to talk to. Them. Robin was a good friend of mine. He always talked to me because I dealt with some of the same struggles early on that he had with Walt Reniak, um, I had those same issues or whatever. Uh, Isaac was always loud, as always. Um, and then, um, you know, just really getting a chance to, to um, be around and listening and talking, you know, to guys for so long, it just – you know, it kind of rubs off on you a whole lot, and you just started becoming very knowledgeable. Um, you know, as as I play, as long as I play, you know, just being around some of the guys that I played with and against, you know, you just started the knowledge of the game. You just see the game totally different than anybody else. Crazy. So, in the span of a little over a year, you're traded for Paul Canerco and then Ken Griffey Jr. as part of a deal. Uh, when you look back at it now. You know, you're traded for one of the greatest players of all time and a guy who became, you know, Mr. White Sox or at least 
the heir apparent to Frank Thomas at that role. I mean, do you look back yeah. on that and think, man, that's kind of cool? I always thought of that highly that I got traded for these types of players. Um, yeah, I did. You know, like because I was always, you know, my my toolbox was full. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to make sure I understood that. You know, it wasn't that. You know, me playing. You know, over the course of about if I really started to look it, really look at it, it's just like, you know, I always viewed it as Harry Baines used to say, hey, man, have bat, have game, we'll, it will travel. Right. And what he meant by saying that is like, people are going to always want you if you're available. And so, you know, with the 18s I played over the course of my career, I don't know why I played for 18s, but it was a joy to get that experience and uh, of different different places and different experiences to play for 18s because uh, I didn't want to. I wanted to play in Seattle my whole time, but it just didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reasons. I, and and kind of go from there. I wanted to stay in San Diego after I got traded from the Mets, and it just didn't happen. So, you know, it just got kind of got scattered around, and I get a, get a, got a chance to play with some of the best players in the history of the game, uh, making a lot of friends. And, and, and actually connecting a lot of bridges. So now, as I look at it now, there's an opportunity for me to go back in, in, into the game in, in a shape and fashion form that I, I would like to. So, so it's just a blessing. I mean, we, we have to talk about the 2001 Mariners. Anybody who talks to you without yeah. doing that wouldn't be doing yeah. their job. 118 wins, and I think what, what surprises me or amazes me still to this day uh, it was a team that didn't have A-Rod. Obviously, since you were there, they didn't have Griffey. No Randy Johnson. Uh, Jay Buhner basically was uh, you know, a non-factor that year with uh, not being on the field. 118 wins, and all the guys from like the 95 era, 96, 97, everybody that was like a Mariner and was a big star at that point was not a factor on that 0-1 team. Um, you know, how... How does that stick out to you? How you know that year you you had to know you were going to win almost every single day. How do you look back on that year as as you know being a blast or being fun or you know not feeling like work? How, how do you reflect on that? Well, it started in two thousand because we made it to the ALCS and thought we we sh- you know we we had a chance of you know beating the Yankees and. Um, you know, after we ran, you know, the White Sox had a good year that year in 2000. We we swept them, mm-hmm. so we all we knew that, you know, the game itself, you know, and having a Rod on the team and Edgar Martinez and you know John Overrule, we thought we had a chance to really beat somebody. But you got to have the pitching going into that that late late run of the year. Um, otherwise, you're gonna have to beat like three number ones. Mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, when you play in the playoffs, you know, we I mean, we faced Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, and El Duque. And, you know, they had like four guys that could be number one starters on everyone else's team. So, you know, like uh, after that, that first year, uh, getting into the next year, we knew we were going to have a pretty good team because we kind of like had the same guys. And then we had Ichiro come in. And no one knew he was going to be what he was. But when he got there, the dynamic he changed, it was like he was Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn, <laughs> uh, combined with, like, 
Steve better than Ricky Henderson, you know? It's insane. Uh, I mean, he was just, it was, he was amazing. I mean, he was like a cat. He was like a cat. His skill, his work habit, it was just amazing. Um, we had a parley of a veteran team and parley of youth. Um, uh, Brett Boone came over to play second base. Uh, defensively, we were unbelievable. We we were unbelievable defensively. We had David Bell at third, Carlos Guillen at short. Uh, we had uh, uh, Brett Boone at second, John Oderle at first, uh, Dan Wilson, Tom Lampkin, and uh, maybe I think it was Joe Oliver still there. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Sure. Uh, but then we had like uh, Macklemore and some other guys in left field. Uh, Stan Javier. Uh, I played center, and each row played right. And Jay Vito was still trying to come back from like I think like a, a Achilles or mm-hmm. uh, uh, plantar fasciitis or something. You know, just kind of give him that opportunity. But I remember going to spring training and uh, pitching wise, and obviously Freddie Garcia was kind of like our ace, uh, got it through really hard or whatever it was. And we had Jamie Moria. We had uh, some young pitching guys, Ron Franklin, Joel Pinero, um, Rafael Soriano, uh, some guys that were coming, you know, like we knew that you got a, Arthur Rose, we got a good bullpen. We got a guy who just won a rookie of the year, year before, uh, Suzuki, uh, Sasaki. So uh, we were experienced. We were we're prepared and we just got in a groove and we took off. I remember Lou coming up and saying we were kind of struggling in spring training and he walked out there and, and he said, uh, you know, you know, fellas, there ain't no goddamn light switch in baseball. <laughs> and that was kind of like the end of spring training. We just kind of get through spring training or whatever. What have you. And sure enough, man, you know, like that last week of spring, we started playing well, and we took it into the season. We went like twenty and five, and we went twenty and five again, and it was just amazing. Like it, we had so much confidence playing wise. We played so well. We ran the bases. We did everything good. We had professional hitters. I think, and obviously, I had my best year uh, hitting second and sixth. You know, second against left-handers and sixth against you know hitting uh, against right-handers. Uh, surrounded by so many guys, uh, we walked a lot. We did everything, man. We got clutch hits. Uh, we had a, a wasn't a real speedy team, but we had good speed with myself, Charles Gibson, Mark McLemore, and um, Ichiro. We all stole like thirty something bags. I think maybe Ichiro stole like fifty something or whatever. But he was a, he was a he was on base all the time. And the guy who hit second was like Carlos Gibbs. I mean, and then you had uh, Booney, and then you had Edgar Martinez, and then you had Olaru. We had professional hitters, right? you know, that got it done. You know, just Edgar. And then when I hit six, I used to hate it, but I used to love it because if they didn't get a hit, they were going to walk. And it was Olaru and Edgar Martinez, and they were like two of the slowest dudes that ever played baseball. <laughs> so I had to hit a double to score those guys. Right. And I still ended up driving 110 runs. So um, it was um, – just a unique, clicking, uh, foundational team that on every aspect, every level we got together, it was just unfortunate that we had to experience something. You know, so 
so so tragically that happened with uh, 9/11. Mm-hmm. You know, we were good. We were so good that we won 116 games, and Oakland won 100 and still finished 16 games under. I, so, I, I think that was one of the know. healthiest teams I've ever seen, too. Only 35 players and only 15 pitchers. But um, obviously, we all know you lost four four to one in the ALCS to the Yankees. Yeah. How how yeah, long did it take was, you to get over that? Was that? that was crushing, man. I ain't even gonna lie, because we had beat up the Yankees all year long. Mm-hmm. You know, we swept them. 4-0, we were up there, we, you know, beat them up all year long. We knew they were tough tests. Uh, our Jeter used to tell us all the time when, you know, you come through there, he's like, uh, you know, you have a good series or whatever. He's just like, you know, we'll see you in October. You know, we, they knew that you know, everyone had to go through New York. We knew we had to go through New York. Um, I think that 9-11 impacted us a little bit, kind of took a little bit of steam out of us. But we still, you know, played well. But I just think, I just think the narrative changed. Uh, after that, um, but we had a tough series against a very, very good Cleveland team. I mean, they were loaded too, and we snuck by them, and then we ran into a buzzsaw mm-hmm. and uh, with the New York Yankees, and you know that just that pitching again, man, just kind of dominated us and shut us down offensively. And they were just so they were a more highly tuned engine than we were, you know, with the the veteran lineup. And the grinding out, getting guys on base, and a dominant guy at the back end of the bullpen that kind of closed out everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got clutch hits. They just got, you know, getting on base and having clutch hits. I think Soriano killed us um, a couple times that year. Um, and basically, like, uh, Dave Justice, you know, just, it, 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 just to, it'd be demoralizing. You know, we were expected to do so much more. One expected to lose those first two games at home, which really what killed us. And going back to New York and and seeing and then taking in that us coming from the West Coast and taking in that that energy that had really hampered New York City for a month and a half or two months or whatever. You know, we got there and, and it, it kind of impacted us a lot. I'm not saying on you know from a baseball perspective, but on a personal level, you know, seeing you know, the fire still burning in certain places and, and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, I think it did. And then trying to wrap it up and play the game of baseball, the energy in New York in the stadium was crazy, crazy, crazy. And I don't think we overcame that. But that experience alone, man, um, was uh, something that I'll never forget in itself also. Uh, to not be able to finish it off, you know, I think it would have been it wouldn't have been so bitter if we would at least got to the World Series, right? You know, but we just the fact that we couldn't beat the Yankees and what we done with them all year long, we couldn't do it when we really needed to. Now we can't put Seattle to bed without talking about the day you hit four home runs at Comiskey, and obviously it has to feel good to do that uh, at your first home park. You know, I'm sure some of the guys, obviously Frank Thomas, still around. But two home runs in the first inning, I mean, was that one of the craziest things you ever experienced on a baseball field? Yeah, because, you know, just like <clears throat> you don't expect to do that. You know, you bat around before and hit twice in the inning. Sure. But to hit two home runs in the first inning, I'm like, my day is already complete. I got two <laughs> home runs in, in the game. We're just in the second inning. Like, this is like icing on the cake against my old ball club because – 
if I look at my numbers, I think I have the best numbers against the Chicago White Sox. And I vowed the day that they, since they traded me and nobody called me and told me that I was getting traded while I was in winter ball and I had to be on an off day in Santa Domingo in a hotel folding my clothes and I see my name go across the ticker and nobody still called me to that day, to this day. Mm-hmm. I was pissed. I played with a serious, every time I played against the White Sox, it was a chip that I, I was going to show everybody over there that I'm going to be the one to beat you today. That everybody else is just on the, on the team. I'm going to be the one to beat you. Mm-hmm. My, my focus and everything else is just, it was uh, crazy. Um, and I just wanted to rub it in, to be honest with you, because I'm just like, <laughs> you got, you thought this guy was going to be better than me over here? You crazy. I'm about to tell you right now. I'm about to show you right now. I'm going to do you an all type. I'm going to steal bags on you. I'm going to throw somebody out. <laughs> um, that game, that game, uh, I think I robbed either Magley or Carlos Lee. And I robbed the Grand Slam. Oh, like, man. it was just, yeah, I, like, it was just like, I was just putting on my own highlight show there, you know, that day. Uh, but to hit the two homers in the first inning, man, it was just like, oh, I mean, you know. And then I had my buddy, James Baldwin, my ex-roommate, that came over from the White Sox to us, and, and he was the winning pitcher that day. So I had to do it for him, too. You know, the year before, I just beat him up in the, with the White Sox, and then him come over with us in Seattle, and to be able to to, to him to pitch against them and him have that same feeling that I had, man, it was just like <laughs> it was a it was like a it was like a, a gift bag for me that day playing on May second with the white against the White Sox and we were a good team too. Yeah, you know, no no doubt about it, we were good. Like we were still were good. It was like we'll be right back. You know, like okay, you know, y'all beat us this year, we'll be right back. <laughs> so that first part of the year, man, we you know kind of got out really well and we was kind of slowing down on uh, the second part of the season but um, I mean the second part of May first part of May I should say we we put it together like we we actually got it together and things started to take off and um, that day uh, it was getaway day we had already won a series and it was just kind of like icing on the cake and we faced, we faced John Roush that day he was a rookie and it didn't go well for him that day. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> no, it didn't go well for him. And that was uh, something that, I, man, I think uh, I always cherish because to do it in that ballpark and understand uh, hitting uh, four homers in a game was one was just like, was unheard of. It hadn't been done since, what, 95, four, mm-hmm. three? Uh, with uh, hard-hitting Mark Whitten in the National League. Ah, that's hadn't right. been done in the American League. You know, hadn't been done in the American League since 1959 by Rocky Calavito. So I felt special, you know. Just a little old guy from LaGrange, Georgia, that got traded for the best <laughs> player in the world. And uh, here I am, you know, in the same book, in the same breath as, uh, you know, uh, a Willie Mays and a... Uh, to see some of the other guys do it. Rocky Calavito and uh didn't even really know Rocky Calavito to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I know Bob Harder hit four homers because I grew up in Atlanta. Yeah. And yeah. so or I grew up in Georgia, so to speak. But just to to see that, man, you know, it was uh you know, to have my name in the Raptors like that was pretty special. Now, I heard the fifth one almost went out too. Is that accurate? Definitely, yes. <laughs> if it wouldn't have been so cold, yeah. if it wouldn't have been so cold, 
in Chicago, Jeff Leifer jumped up. I was more pissed off at that because I only had four, <laughs> four, four, four ribbies at that time. He couldn't give you and the Conseco? He couldn't give you the Conseco headbutt, headbutt with the uh, No, the boost? I hit it too hard. Oh, like, man. I hit it more on a line. I hit it more on a line. Oh, so you, I was you kill somebody. Like, yes. Yeah, like, I, I, I hit it more on a line. It was up there, and I hit it well. And he jumped up just at the front of the fence. Just, just at the front of it. Yeah, I swear it would have been a warmer. I've been the first guy to have five homers in a game. That would have been great. I mean, with with nine RBIs, <laughs> it would have been stupid. It would have been crazy. So crazy. After that year, you signed with the Mets. You hit free agency for the first time, and then kind of speeds up the the journeyman phase of your career. Uh, why? Why were you know? How did you choose the Mets, and why didn't Seattle uh, bring you back? Well. I think Seattle's in um, management transition. Pat Gillick was no longer there. Yeah. Um, they brought me in Bill Bavese. Um I was a, I think I was going into free agency at the age of 30. Yes, I was. And Bill Bavese came in, and um, we just never connected. And I always said that, you know, I want to finish my career here. You know, what is it going to take? And I guess the direction that Bavese wanted to take was, hey, man, we don't got to pay this guy. We'll slide Randy Wynn over and play center field oh, and yeah. kind of go with it. And uh, I was hurt. Like, it was the first time I was really hurt in mm-hmm. baseball. The other things just kind of, you know, turned my clock up. But I feel like, you know, I had started to, to, um, put it together, man. Like my, I was starting to, you know, find my niche and, and be what I was supposed to be, you know, uh, in Seattle. I had kind of, uh, up on all the dressing that King Griffey Jr. left there, I was starting to, you know, have a side show, <laughs> you know, so I felt like I belonged there. I still feel like that's my home more so than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saw you signed a one-day uh, one deal to retire with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just, I mean, that's just out of just a mutual respect and a love, man, for what I experienced. And, you know, being, uh, you know, San Diego could have been that same thing, but I only was there for two years, Um, possibly New York. I just, my ties were so strained with the White Sox, I just knew nothing else about them anymore other Mm -hmm. than that's where I started at. Right. you know, my my it ended so tragically. I, I want nah. Let me take that back. That's not that's not what you want to say. <laughs> it just ended so abrupt, yeah. abruptly, yeah, in, in a very awkward manner. Um, it's kind of a, a so, old wound opening up an old wound, kind of. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. But at the same time, it's just that um, I thought that I belonged in Seattle, and I felt like I had. Uh, done a good job in filling in the shoes of King Griffey Jr. playing center field. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, I just wanted to kind of carry that out, man. Now, and it just never happened. And I, I was hurt. Now, really was hurt. I, I want to fast forward a little bit to 2005 and that collision with Carlos Beltran. And, and obviously uh, concussions, we didn't know as much about them now, but um, you were taking something that you ended up getting in, in a little bit of hot water for. But I, what I want to ask is, do you think the fractured orbital bone played any role in the concussion, or was it just completely unrelated, your previous fracture? Uh, that happened so long ago. 
Um, my previous fracture happened in like 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you almost fast forwarded to 2007. So in 2005, uh, when I got hurt, um, it probably did because it was the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, just the impact that that whole impact just kind of changed my perspective on life <laughs> in general. Right. And what I what I went through in that in that specific time, um, you know, just com- coming off of a, you know, kind of a a hard year, you know, signing in New York, coming off a hard year of grinding out. You know, I had two surgeries. You know, I had a wrist surgery in '04, played with a torn uh, TFCC in my wrist. Uh, you know, just just a lot of ailments, a lot of different things going on in New York City, man. And that first year, there was kind of hard but able to accomplish something and you know setting the setting the the record for center fielders for home runs I think I beat out you know Tommy Agee since like 1976 Mm -hmm. passing his record um and then you know the next year them bringing Beltran in and saying hey we're gonna put you in right field (laughs) that's tough (laughs) I just like like, I just want to go glove man you gonna move me Mm mm-hmm and right. so, you know, I was a little ego play a little bit, you know, I just like, hey, I can't, you know, obviously I can't say whatever, but, you know, I didn't want to play right field at the time. Mm-hmm. I was still a good, really, really good center fielder. All the way until I was like 37, I was good. Mm-hmm. So at 31, I, you going to move me to right field? And it took some while for me to kind of get used to that. It also gave me a chance to heal uh, in 2004. Uh, going into the 2005 season because I had surgery in 2004 on my wrist. And so they finally talked me into playing right field. But I said, if I'm going to go to right field, exercise my option on my on my deal then. It, because this changes the dynamics of what I am. Right. And they didn't want to do that. So I said, okay, fuck, I'm sorry. I said, okay. <laughs> it's all good. I'll, okay, I'll play. I said, okay, I'll play. Uh, all right, this is what this is what it is then. So, you know, Beltran played center. Then I thought about, like, hey, man, we got three guys in the outfield that can hit 30 bombs. Cliff, if he just stays healthy, Beltran in center, Oof. and me and Wright. That's pretty nasty. We, we got David Wright. Yeah, we got David Wright playing third, Jose Reyes playing second, um, Miguel Cairo, and I think Kazmatsui playing second base. Yeah, and yeah. They, moved Ra- they, they moved Reyes I at think, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he should have been there the whole time. Right. That's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the anyway, um, I forgot who we had at first. I think uh, Doug McCavish. Yep, Doug McCavish, former twin. Doug McCavish. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, hey, we got like, we got Al Leiter, we got Tom Glavin, we got uh, some other guys that can pitch. This may be the time the Mets be able to turn it around, you know, I said, you got a pretty good team here in 05. Right. And Pedro came. That's, yeah. yes, when Pedro came. That's I was right. like, okay, I'll go, all right, I'll, look, I'll, sacri- I'll, I'll drop my ego, pride, or whatever it is, and we're going to do this. And um, it's just that it was a good team. But when I got hurt, and the, the, the way I got hurt, there was no way I was going to be able to go back and play with any type of, with, without a fear. Mm-hmm. 
and that kind of I just knew what I went through psychologically. You know, we made it our way to August. We came close many a times. And now I think Beltran got hurt, and so they fed me a bone. They put me in center field for, you know, a couple of weeks here and there, you know, and do this. I think Beltran had a knee problem or something like that. Right. And I would get a chance to play center field for a couple of weeks. So it made me feel good. You know, it made me feel really good. And then, uh, you know, at the All-Star break, everybody was talking about the Yankees trying to get me over there, and they're going to trade me to Sheffield. I was like, I don't really want to go nowhere else right now. But, you know, hey, it's the Yankees. And, you know, yeah. it, hey, uh, that is what it is. And so, um, but we ended up playing and getting on through the year. And, and then when I had that collision out in San Diego, that changed me for a lifetime, man. It just, just, it just, you know, I thought I was ruined. I thought I almost died, you know, just because mm-hmm. of getting knocked out in midair and getting my head crushed and everything else. And, you know, choking on my own blood and, you know, just a lot of different factors that that give you a lifeline while you're laying on the ground and you don't know what's going on. And, uh, um, but I suffered a massive, massive concussion along with a lot of broken fracture bones. Right. You know, anytime you rattle, rattle your brain like that, you know, you just don't know. And, and the uncertainty, I was in intensive care for seven days and then, didn't know where it was going to lead me to. And, uh, and I just knew that, you know, I had to heal. The healing process was coming back. And, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to play the next year. Right. Uh, I just, just, I didn't get a chance to do no baseball activity going into the next season. I didn't even, to be honest with you, I didn't know if I was going to play baseball no more because I had so much problem with light. You know, I couldn't see, uh, you know, not only did I, I busted my blood vessel, a blood vessel in my eye. And so it was just, didn't know, you know, um, what was ahead for me. I had no idea. I had no clue. And so basically, man, it's just a matter of um, just a natural healing process. You know, you know, a lot of love from home and everything else. And, you know, being a chance to be around family, um, but missing the game. Um, just didn't know what would, would take place. You know, having my mouth wide shut for so long, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know I had no idea. I had no idea. No idea that um, I was going to make it back from that. But I vowed to keep, you know, be positive. And uh, it gave me a different appreciation for the game. I never took it for granted in the first place because of the way I came there. Uh, but it gave me a whole nother perspective on the game. And, uh, I, I play with a, a different, I play with a different type of joy. I play with it more of a joy than it being so, so hard. And, 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 and I already played the game with a joy in itself, but I think it, it, it just, that it made me realize how blessed I was to be able to play the game of baseball for a living. For sure. And, and uh, you know, just dealing with some other things uh, family-wise and everything else. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was crazy, crazy. Just sitting at home, me getting, what I'm telling you is some of the things that I got a chance to think about over the course of the rest of, once I got out of the hospital, uh, and just being able to, um, get through some of the things I went through 
I just knew that, you know, I was fortunate because I didn't know what it was going to lead to after that. I didn't know if I was going to be again. I didn't know nothing. I was sensitive to the sunlight. Uh, my head was throbbing, very big and throbbing and swollen and, you know, I got nine plates and screws in my face, the surgery that I went through. And, you know, it was just a blessing that I got a chance to come back. And, you know, I know you was talking about the the whole, uh, uh, I guess, the suspension thing I went through, I guess, mm-hmm. what it was, which happened at the end of 2007 season. And, um, you know, me, I think I took like a Adderall and, and uh, that was inside of some drink or whatever it was. And, and hey, I got <laughs> that, that, that this the next day I got uh, tested. Ah. So that, that started the process. That started the process of saying, well, I, you know, I told my agent, like, man, I felt really good. I, I felt like I, you know, I did, I wasn't losing the concentration no more mm-hmm. and this, then the other, you know, I, I mean, I was just kind of self-medicated getting through the year um, of what I did. And at the end of the year, this just happened to happen. And, um, you know, it wasn't something that, you know, I was like, whenever you get somebody get rest, they think PD is just like, Oh, he's on steroids. Oh, he's on steroids. He's on steroids. He's been the other day. It was another learning experience, man. I should have been had already gotten, you know, the help or what I needed to go do what I needed to do. And uh, I just being a tough, being a tough guy, and just kind of like doing my own thing, and and um, realizing that you know the amount of attention I brought to myself on that aspect of it, and to go forward with it. Uh, I learned a lot from that, but once I got that taken care of, I was able to get the help, the special need that I needed, um, and uh, things worked out for me. So uh, you go from San Diego to Milwaukee, and you know your career from there, um, Marlins, Red Sox, and that's kind of it. But you, know, so you have 12 years of being an above-average hitter. You weren't a corner guy. You, know, mm-hmm. you played right up the middle. Um, offense mm-hmm. was very steady over that time. You took her walks, you know, a great defender. Do you ever get jaded about the fact that you moved around so much? I mean, the really a great clubhouse guy, a hard worker. Just when I look at it from a distance, it doesn't make any sense to me that you, that nobody kept you longer than four years. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I would love to know that myself. I just don't know. I just enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed what was given to me. Mm-hmm. Like I was supposed to sign. I felt like after, after leaving New York, I knew I couldn't play in New York no more. But then here again is the same team that wanted to sign me as a free agent mm-hmm. uh, coming out of uh, coming out of uh, um, Seattle. Right. And this team wanted to sign me again. And, you know, it's just like, wow, they traded for me to play, to play uh, center field in San Diego. I knew I want I knew I couldn't go back and play and I, I just I needed to get tra- I needed to go somewhere and I knew that there's a possibility I don't know where I'm gonna end up at. It's just it's just very fortunate. it's just very, very, very crazy that I got a chance to go to the same place where I got hurt at. That was right. scary. Right, yeah, almost trippy. 
Yeah. And but it, what it did was give me an opportunity to basically face my fears right away. And once I got my health back, I was like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna be playing center field, and I'm gonna I'm in control again in mm-hmm. the outfield, and uh, I'm about to make it happen. You know, I'm about to make it happen here in San Diego because I felt like I had I had something to prove to myself now." You know that I can. You know, like you, 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 you're okay. And it took a while because I didn't get a chance to train in the off season. It was just all healing. You know, I couldn't really do much because of my head. You know, just it, it. I couldn't do much. You know, breaking my nose and my whole face and everything else. There was nothing I can do. But just you know, have Kevin Towers and Bochy tell me, like, just take your time, man. You know, we, we, we need a center fielder and you're going to be it. And, um, I fortunately good luck, you know, good enough to have uh, a blessing of, uh, healing, a good healing body. And, you know, I was able to go out for spring training and kind of get back into it a little bit. And, uh, slowly, you know, it took me almost two years to actually heal but slowly heal and and the game my game was just ready it was just ready for that particular time that place and i i thrived in san diego ended up winning gold glove out there mm-hmm. and so after that year after that year you know we ended up winning 88 games i think we you know we got in the playoffs we lost it eventually to the world champs of uh Pujols and those guys but I just knew that, uh, like, man, I need, hey, I got one more year, you know. So, you know, I was 33. I was like, man, you know, I could, I would, this could be it right here. Right. Maybe 30, yeah, I think I was 33. And I was like, maybe, you know, they approached us about a couple, a, a couple, maybe a three-year deal or something like that. But it didn't happen. It didn't work out. I don't know why. I think. I don't know, maybe it was money or something that maybe just a little bit off and they didn't do it. And I think San Diego went through uh, front office change and they're not front office, but ownership and everything else. And it, it just didn't happen. Like, and I, yeah, you know, obviously, uh, I don't know if the 2007, uh, the, the PED, uh, or I should say that, yeah, the, uh, the 25 game suspension kind of hurt that or not. Mm-hmm. But I was good. I was good, though. You know, I mean, I was fortunate. I know I was I was going to be okay from that. I just thought that, you know, like, I think I, I felt like I missed the boat a little bit and um, not signing with San Diego. And But I landed on my feet in a good place, you know, right. uh, in a good place. I, I tried to go to Atlanta. That's when Andrew Jones, I think, had left. Mm-hmm. Uh, For the Dodgers. Uh, and wanted to come. Yeah, yeah, he had left to go to the Dodgers and. I was like, man, it's a good opportunity to play at home, but mm-hmm. the Braves were like, no, we're gonna go young, and I said, okay, cool. Like, like I, I'm not that old, man. Like I can play, <laughs> you know. Like, and I, I guess technically, baseball wise, I probably was old, <laughs> getting older or whatever. But I know like, I could play. Like I could play. It don't matter. I, I mean, I just played, you know, every day virtually at my age, 35, and you know, center field, and I feel like sit going to San Diego preserved me a few more years playing on the West Coast in that weather. And so, you know, I mean, it's just what have you. And and basically, you know, going to Milwaukee and seeing their team, mm-hmm. 
they, and just kind of playing against them and knowing what they had. Like, man, let me get over here. Okay. We got some young, got some young hunters right now. Mm-hmm. The Fifth Ryan Braun, and Ricky Weeks, and JJ uh, uh, Hardy. JJ uh, Hardy. Uh, gosh, my buddy in right field. Uh, what's his name? Corey uh, Hart. Jeff, uh, or Jeff Jenkins. Corey, yeah, Corey Hart. Yeah, Bill Hall. Jeff Jenkins was gone. Yeah, he yeah, was I think gone he had gone to Philly. Maybe gone to Philly or whatever. Yeah. And it was just, it was just stacked. They had good pitching. You know, like, it was there. Everything was there. That's and crazy. so, I was like, I didn't think I was going to end up in Milwaukee, but it was one of the best experiences I had because Milwaukee reminded me of where I grew up at. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, just one of those things, man. I just landed in a good spot, uh, another good place with a lot of talent, a lot of talent. They, You know, obviously being able to come in with me being able to come there and um, – with Ned Yost being the manager, like, hey, man, Doug Melvin and those guys said, hey, man, you, you know, we know you can help out some of these young guys. Myself and Jason mm-hmm. Kendall and uh, Craig Council. Uh, Another future just manager. Like, you know, it's just perfect. It was just, it just worked out perfect again. So my fits, I think all of my fits were in a perfect sense, in a perfect place uh, when, that, when that time was there. Um, and the joy, you know, being able to go to the go to the playoffs for the first time since like 1983 in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of it's just amazing. You know, getting CC and having these other guys come over, man. So it's, I mean, like, you know, I don't have any qualms about. It. I always ask, like, why did I you know play for eight teams? How in the world I do that? You know, just as good as a consistent you know player I was, like, how why? <laughs> but you know, as I ask why, I'm grateful that it did happen, like, again, because, you know, I got a chance to come across so many people, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so many good players and, you know, coaches and managers and guys that future managers and everything else, you know, and then get a chance to go to Boston and play. Whoa. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. We good. <laughs> Oh, this lady almost hit this car right here. It'll get you in trouble uh, here. <laughs> no, 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 no. You good? <laughs> I just, I, you know, just, just, just the whole thing. The experience in Boston. It was, it, you know, I could have went to Boston and in New York. Also, mm-hmm. the Yankees finally got another chance, possibly go to New York, and that's when CC was there. Uh, and and. They had just won a World Series in 2009. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man. When I left, when I left, when I left Milwaukee, I was like, man, you've got a chance. You could possibly go play, you know, kind of be a, you know, uh, fourth outfielder slash starter or whatever a little bit and play for the Yankees. But then Boston wanted to, and I just remember my old manager, Terry Francona, was coaching again, coaching in Boston. So I had a little bit of a choice there, but I made a decision to go to Boston because I felt like, um, you know, they said, hey, we'll let you still play center field song. You know, mm-hmm. we'll move Jacoby Ellsbury to left field. I was like, Shh, I'm gone. <laughs> you a chance to play center field in Boston? Yeah. You know, that's just, it's just it, man. It's just it. It was... You know, I don't know why, 
I don't know why I have I have the slightest 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 idea the reason why I played for eight teams, and then I, my body just kind of came loose in Boston, and um, it just never got back on track again. That was just kind so, of it. You know, just kind of my body for the first time. It just kind of my body came unraveled, and mm-hmm. you know, it was just a, you know. For, for the longest time, I was able to get by and do everything, and just then I got hurt, and it just didn't didn't go as well. And then I came back the next year, and I was really was just a bench player, and uh, and when them getting called Crawford in the outfield and moving Ellsbury back to center field, and, and JD Drew still going, and some of the other young guys coming along, and Josh Reddick and everybody else, and mm-hmm. you know I got off I got off to a really slow start. Uh, or it just didn't come together, you know, facing lefties like, you know, every seven to nine days, you know, not really getting a whole lot of at-bats. And, or just not getting it done in that perspective. And uh, I remember getting DFA, and I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Do I still want to play? You know, I don't want to, I never want to end a year in the middle of the year. You know, I know I still can play. I just needed to play, you know. And uh, old buddy Jack McKinn gave me a call and said, hey, it was either between, Theo said when he called me up, I was at Disney World watching my son play. <laughs> and he called me up and said, you know, when they DFA, you got 10 days to trade your release or whatever. And uh, he called me up and said, hey, you can either, you, you know, you got to trade with the Cleveland Indians or the, uh, or the um, God, who was it? Or the uh, 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 Florida Marlins? And I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, I'm not going to Cleveland, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just left out of that situation. Yeah. In in Boston, at least I go to to the the Marlins. You know, Jack McKeon calls me up and says, "Hey, right? Hey, I want you to come down here and play for me. I want you to be able to help these young guys, Jim Carlos, Stan, and you know all the." Hanley Ramirez and everybody else, all these guys they got, you know, got a young, really, really young team. Come down here and play. I was like, you can play center field. I said, really? Okay. He said, you play much as you want to. I said, okay. And I go to the Marlins and, you know, here again, I get a, I got another great situation because, you know, the hitting coach is uh, Eduardo Perez, one mm-hmm. of the great yep. left pitching hitting guys that you can possibly go with. Um, his dad um, talking to some guys that, you know, uh, Eduardo's dad, and then you're talking to guys like, uh, um, uh, oh, God, uh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> oh, uh, 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 the Hulk, Andre Dawson. Yeah. And, and being around these guys and, and talking to them because they played until their 40s. 39, 38, 40, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you prepare your body now, how you go about different things, how do you do this or whatever. Um, and, you know, I got a chance to talk, do that a lot too, talking with Jim Rice when I was in Boston. So it's just kind of like, you know, carried on a little bit more, man, and the experience and just, I mean, all of the different things I got. I think I ended up playing very well, you know, for my last, you know, couple of months or so in the Florida Marlins until the little situation happened or whatever, but. Um, you know, I just, you know, I'm, I was fortunate 
You know, it didn't go the way I wanted in or, or it didn't go the way I want leaving out of New York. But I made it happen. I made it do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed, man. I'm very, very happy that I got a chance to play that long and, and still yeah. was probably could still play one more year. I probably I could have played one more year. And, you know, I had signed with the Washington Nationals right. in the offseason. I didn't, I didn't think nobody was going to call me. But I had hit like eight homers or, or something down with the Marlins. You know, maybe not eight. We had probably like five or six homers or whatever in the last couple of months. And, and the last one that I hit was put me, that put me in the record books again by myself with the first guy to hit two home runs in a game. With eight teams. Uh, for right? eight different teams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just so crazy. Uh, but, you know, just just me uh, having that experience and uh, going down there and uh, getting it out and saying, bringing my – so bringing my conscience back to saying, you know what, man, you still can play. Mm. You still can play. Uh, you still can play. So the last thing I want to ask you before we let you go is, is how has your experience and, and the things you went through shaped how, you know, Daz has gone through his professional career and, and, and how has that worked for him? Made it very easy for him. I just made it very, very easy for him. Made it so easy for him. Uh, you know, he's uh, very knowledgeable. He listens very well. And so I have to be careful about the information that I give him. Um, it's just a matter of giving him an opportunity to be successful and not worry about certain things because I've basically been through everything that he, he's going to go through other than being a first round and other than having the pressures yeah. of following my dad, you know, everything else I've been through, what he's going through baseball wise, off the field life, whatever it may be. You know, I don't been through that. And then I guess the other thing too is to remind him that when I played, it was just the eyes that saw you on you. Now, their eyes on every platform all the time, everything you do, every minute of whatever you do. So don't do nothing stupid. Right. Uh, uh, from a from a social media standpoint, where it come back to haunt you or whatever. Uh, and he's very cognizant of those things or whatever. But um, yeah, it's just he's made it real easy, man. It's just been. I made it try to make it tremendously easy for him and understand how tough and how hard it is for him. You know, uh, I feel for him sometimes when he struggled a couple times because he never really struggled until he got a pro ball. Mm -hmm. He never struggled, to be honest with you, until he got a pro ball. And now you're struggling at the highest level against the best competition where it's not going to get easier. Right. It doesn't get easier every day. So... You have to figure out how to get this thing done in a uh, in a good fashion. You have to you have to understand what you're working towards. You have to understand your work and what you need, what you got to accomplish, and make it and just try to make it easy for him in that in that aspect. That's all, man. Well, thank you so much for the time today. We left a lot of meat on the bone. So if if you enjoyed it as much as we did, hopefully you'll come back on again real soon and. We can talk a little bit more about your time in Milwaukee. I know Justin would love to hear that. But I, you know, I want to ask yeah. you about all kinds of different things. And, and again, hopefully we didn't uh, didn't sully your your thoughts on a podcast. And if you start one, we'd be happy to listen to that as well. So uh, thank you so much for the time. Uh, and just have a great rest of the day. 
Oh, definitely. I appreciate it. Definitely for a round two, man. I guess I could do that now. You know, I don't talk myself to death over here. I talk about my whole life just about. There you go. Get that more. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right. Well, so follow Mike Cameron on Twitter at underscore darkman44 for Justin Bailey producing for Tom Schreier across the table. This is Brandon Warren signing off, saying so long and catch us next week on Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. 